the year was 1980 and the date was March 6th. God called a renegade commercial real estate agent here in Phoenix into his kingdom. This was not somebody that somebody thought would become a Christian. In fact, if you're a betting man, you would not have bet that Tom Schrader, this renegade commercial real estate agent, would have become a Christian. And before you knew it, Tom was teaching three or four different Bible studies and hundreds of people were coming to hear him speak. In fact, at one point, he went down to Tucson to lead a Bible study there twice a week because hundreds wanted to hear him speak down there as well. And so I've heard Tom teach on numerous occasions. In 1992, I think the date was, he planted a church called East Valley Bible Church. That grew to thousands of people. And now 20 years later, he's handed that church off to the next generation as he is now teaching the Bible still. So when I knew I was going to be out of town uh, with my dad, because he's in surgery, as some of you guys know, or went through surgery this week, I called Schrader and said, could you, would you, address Scottsdale Bible Church on the theme of legacy as we're doing this vision series, getting ready for our Compelled by Grace campaign. And he said, you bet, I'd consider it an honor. So I'm so excited that you guys get to hear Tom today. And I want you to give a really, really robust Scottsdale Bible Church welcome to Pastor Tom Schrader. Thank you. Robust welcome. I uh, talked to Jamie last night and I said that, uh, you know, I, they, you knew he was there to, for his dad's surgery. What is that? Uh, and, and what do you want me to say? And, and, and he gave me some thoughts. I said, listen, send me a text so I can read it so that everybody hears the same thing. So here's what he sent me this morning. Here's an update on my dad. He came through surgery well on Thursday, heart surgery for a valve replacement and bypass. He's been in ICU since then and is still in ICU this morning. They're trying to get a heart arrhythmia and some congestion under control, but he's recovering fairly well. He's demanding this morning to see his doctors. He wants some questions answered and wants a razor. I don't know if those two are connected. <laughs> Hope not. But I've met his dad, and maybe they are. Both are good signs. I appreciate all your prayers, Pastor Jamie. So, uh, again, I did talk to Jamie last night, and he was whining about how cold it is back there, and I was whining about how rainy it is here, and it's been cold here. It was, uh, uh, in part, I think, of what Jamie had in mind with legacy is just some stuff I've gone through about, uh, oh, I don't know, four or five years ago. I knew that we needed to trans the church. So I put some things in place then and began that. And the last thing to transition was the pulpit. And I announced that in March and uh, we, uh, they targeted a date for the end of the year. So we had that. Two weeks ago today, interestingly enough, we had what, for lack of a better phrase, was called Tom Schrader Appreciation Day. Now, it was 21 degrees in Gilbert. And, and the irony was not missed on me the morning when I thought of all those people who said, it'll be a cold day in hell when I go to Tom Schrader Appreciation Day. I loved it. So I'm in this very reflective mood. I, I sent a, a text last night to Tim Mon. Tim is the one who's the, the primary teacher at our Gilbert campus now, Habakkuk 1.5. Look among the nations and see 
wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your day that if I would have told you, you wouldn't have believed. And I think that's true of what God is doing at the redemption churches, but I have the same sense that it's Scottsdale Bible Church. I've been on your website. I watched most of Jamie's message from last week and, and most from the week before. And, and the logo is what caught me. Our next 50 years begins here and now. And as I think of legacy, I have the privilege of, of sitting in kind of a front row seat of uh, watching you all in that transition too. One of the really cool things to me is the way last year you honored your previous senior pastors and to have them all here. And there's a, there's a wonderful picture of all of them together. And, and, and I'm, I'm convinced Jamie loves it and has it posted everywhere because it makes him look young. But, but uh, I love that picture. I love that sense that, that you all understand that you're standing on, if you will, other people's shoulders. With that comes the responsibility for the next 50 years, which begins today. And I uh, selfishly am excited about what you're doing because I believe a strong Scottsdale Bible Church contributes to a strong Valley of the Sun. And so when I hear Jamie talk about five years and four campuses and multi-site and church plants, it's awesome to see that. And when Jamie called, originally I was supposed to be here March 10th, I think it was. And Jamie said, listen, talk about whatever you want to talk about. And then he called and said, the thing with my dad is coming up, it's scheduled. Do, do you have the freedom to be there on the 27th? And I said, I do. He said, here's the one deal is I'm going to give you a topic for that day. And the, and the topic is the idea of legacy, part of our vision series. So I don't think you need me to paint a, a corporate vision of legacy for you. What I wanted to do and what I played with in my mind is, is dealing with each of us individually. So the idea or the, the topic for the day is to, to leave a legacy. What does that word legacy mean? Uh, roughly, Webster's definition of, of legacy is this. Money or property left to someone by will or anything handed down from or as from an, an ancestor. So we tend to think of that in, in perhaps generational transfer within people who share our own chain of DNA. I am a, uh, this sounds weird to say, I'm a newlywed. So I've been married less than five, well, I guess it has, no, eight months. And uh, so I'm learning things, and, and, and one of the things we had to do was some estate planning. And we had to sit down, we spent a lot of hours trying to figure out what, what do we want to do with a st our estate? And uh, I, I told them when they're done, read it to the kids after the funeral, because they're not gonna be very happy with the way this shook out for them. But nonetheless, <laughs> you tend to think in terms of that. This. This is an, an amazing, this is the original Ryder Cup. And uh, uh, we're so happy to have it on loan. It's here for tomorrow night, the event at the Bird's Nest. And uh, some of you know that. I think it's, let me get, I think it's seven o'clock tomorrow night. But the original Ryder Cup. So Samuel Ryder was a businessman, a Christian. And uh, he made this cup, this is now the original, in 1902. 
And, and as a Christian, he came in contact with many of the ministers in uh, his home area. He felt that they were working very hard, so he wanted to kind of create this moment where maybe they could have some recreation. And the original Ryder Cup was and is still given to a group of pastors who play. And except for some war years, this is the cup that's gone to them. It was won last year by a guy, uh, a five handicap, figures he was a Baptist, and uh, uh, yeah, so he had time to play. And uh, John Hall, he's won it two years in a row. Now, out of this, then in 1926, came the Ryder Cup as, as we know it, different cup. But it's interesting when you think of legacy to think of something like that. Well, what's your legacy? What, and, and what I want to do is to, to try to get you to see that your descendants aren't just those who share that chain of DNA. That there's a sense in which everyone in your sphere of influence is a descendant. And you're passing on to them probably not some physical assets, but your life touches their life. And that's God's plan. As Jamie said, God saved me in, in 1980 if all God wanted to do was get me to heaven, bam, he would have taken me at that moment, but he left me here for a reason. I'm the product of a generation, specifically a guy by the name of Larry Wright who, who dumped into me. I went to a Bible study, Larry spoke. Uh, I, was, I was born and raised Catholic grade school, high school, and college. I was uh, taught in grade school by the, the most misnamed group of people on the planet. They were called the Sisters of, of Mercy. I'm not sure where that came from. But, so I had a lot of background, but that day I walked in that Bible study and Larry was teaching and it was like I was the only guy in the room. And I went back to my office and I got out the phone book. I was trembling. Went to the Wrights, W-R-I-G-H-T. There were Larry's and Lawrence's and I went like this and called that number. I said, listen, my name is Tom Schrader. I was at a Bible study this morning. It was taught by a guy by the name of Larry Wright. Do you know how I might reach him? And he said, that's me. And so that was a Thursday. We met the following Tuesday, and I asked him all those probing questions about Adam and Eve and creation and Noah and all the other stuff. And he said, here's what you should do tonight, Tom. Read the Gospel of John. So I did. Might as well have been the Greek. It didn't make any sense to me at all. And the next day, it was a Wednesday morning. I was at McCormick Ranch waiting to see, hopefully, a tenant. And I was there and all by myself. And I said, God, listen, here's what I got figured out so far. I'm a sinner. We have empirical data to support that. And, and, and Jesus came and lived and died. I've always believed that. But what I understand now that it, he died in my place. He paid the price for my sin. And, and God, I, I trust that. I put my faith and trust in, in that for my salvation. The next day, I went into the Bible study. Larry was there, and I told him what happened, and he hugged me, and I thought, oh, my golly, they're huggers. We're going to be hugging forever. Everywhere we go, we're going to hug. So about two weeks later, he said, listen, you need to, uh, somebody to disciple you. And I said, I don't know what that means. And, and he told me, and I said, well, friend, you won the lottery. Congratulations, because you're the only one I know. 
And Larry dumped into my life, and not just my life, but all around the valley, there's people whose lives have been touched by Larry Wright. And so it may be a legacy like that. It, it, it may work itself out in some other way. Here's what I want you to realize, that you are leaving a legacy right now, whether you realize it or not. If you pull out of the Cactus Campus or off of Shea here or from the venue and you pull out and a truck hits you and you die, we're going to have a memorial service and you got a legacy. Maybe good, maybe bad, but you're leaving a legacy. What I'm encouraging you to do is be much more deliberate about it. And so I raise this as a question and then I'm going to answer it for you. Is what do your descendants need? I'm going to give you six principles and maybe slide in a seventh based on time. There are principles that you should, I think, pass on to, to those around you. So as I sit with our staff, these are principles that I try to teach them to my kids. They're, they're everywhere I have the opportunity to talk about basics. These are the things we talk about. Now, my favorite thing on a Sunday morning is to say, open your Bible to, to go to John chapter 1, verse 1, and to just go right through the text. We're not going to do that. Six principles. Here's the first one. It's the principle of consequence. The decisions you make today will affect tomorrow. Paul writes, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he'll also reap. There's this principle, this law of sowing and reaping. If you plant corn, you get well, that shouldn't have been that hard. I mean, uh, sounds like we got a lot of U of A graduates here this morning. But yeah, generally, if you plant corn, you get corn. If you get anything, and wheat, you get wheat. He said, listen, if you sow your own flesh, you'll reap corruption. So, so here's what I want to pass on to the people around me, and, and that is the decisions that I, that I make today affect tomorrow. Uh, Sandy and I were at, at Costco Friday. There's no, apparently there's no, I have to go online and see. I, don't, I guess there's no etiquette for how you conduct yourself at Costco, but I'll, I'll give you just a general rule of thumb. If you have a cart and you're going to get something, take the cart with you. Don't leave it in the aisle. That aside, I digress. We're, we're, we're going through, the lines are long. We get through, we're coming out, and, and right by the door where you pick up your photographs. Long lines picking them up. Well, I want mean, you to see this. As I try to tell the people around me, my kids in particular, that, that life is like a, like a film, not a photograph. And a photograph, you open that package, there's a picture at the beach, one from the mountains, one from the birthday party, one from the game. But, but, but one picture is not related to the other, not dependent on. In a film, this frame and this frame are tied together by the frame in the middle. That God has this law, this law of consequence. He said, don't be deceived. Don't kid yourself. God's not mocked. God has these laws that are in effect. We see them physically in the world around us. We see communication in terms of two plus two is four. <laughs> four. Wow, four. I see what Jamie says. Uh, <laughs> gravity, 
jump off a building, it doesn't matter whether I believe it or not, it's a law. Well, well here are the laws as well. It is that what I do today affects tomorrow. These are God's principles, they're unchangeable, they're universal. When, when I was a young man, my first sales job uh, back, uh, back home, I'm from Iowa originally. Uh, ooh, somebody from Iowa? Where, what city are you from? I'm sorry? No, I heard you, I'm just sorry. Um, <laughs> Every time. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> they're so proud. <laughs> it's, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's Iowa, idiots out wandering around. Okay, so I got it, okay? I owe the world an apology. I've heard them all. Well, my first job was selling paper products, so I'd call on these guys, and, they, and all, these, all these bosses, they must have got us somewhere. They had a contraption. It was like a, a metal frame with these balls hanging on them. Remember those? And you'd pull one, you'd let it go, boom, 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 and the other one go out. It didn't matter how many times you did it. It was just physics, I guess. Well, God has these laws that those decisions you make today will affect tomorrow. And I need to begin to think long term. That's hard to do, by the way. Every uh, summer, I take about 500 junior high, high school kids over to the coast for summer camp. And, And one of the things I tell them is that one day you're gonna drive a minivan. And they resist that, and I said, listen, I understand this, I know how you feel. It's amazing, because you can't even get a date, but you're gonna have kids, and that's just the way that this is, and that's the law. And these things you do now as a junior high student can have long-term effects. Here's the second thing. It's the principle of authority to respect the position, not just the person. In Romans chapter 13, Paul talks about government, and he says, let every person be in submission to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. Those who exist are established by God. By the way, verse 2 says this, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. God has, if you will, these systems and chains of commands. He has one in the office. He has one at home in the family. He has one in the government. He has one here at church. And when I'm opposed to the government, I'm rebelling not against them, but against God. If I'm a wife who's not submitting to my husband or a husband who's not loving my wife, my rebellion is not against my spouse. My rebellion is against God. Now, the minute we hear this, we want, we got one big question, right? What's the exception? That's what I want to know. And that just shows how rebellious we are. The minute somebody says, don't do it, I want to know under what condition can I do it? It's that principle of authority. I went to college first year in 1968, and many sociologists, historians would say 1968, 1969 were the beginning of the demise of our culture. I was there, and it was sex and drugs and rock and roll and everything that went with it. One of the things at the time is Richard Nixon was president, and there was a great deal of backlash against him, and I was told over and over again, Listen, you don't have to respect him necessarily as a person, but you respect the position. Then I heard people say it about President Clinton, and then they said it about W, and now we say it now. 
as there's a sense of understanding that there's this position of authority. When, when, in 1968, when I hit the college campus, there was a bumper sticker that was everywhere. It was two words. What did it say? Question authority. And that just planted the seeds for everything. Now, I'm not saying blind following. If the government or somebody, an authority figure, commands me to do something God prohibits or prohibits me from doing something God commands, then I understand I have to deal with that. But the principle of authority, if, if I don't get this principle of authority, I'm chronically wanting authority myself, but I'm going to be, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resist commands. My daughter used to say this, what time do you want me home on Friday? And I'd say 12 o'clock. She would say, well, everybody's going to be out till 1. Anything we're going to do after 12, we could do before 12. I say, you know what? That's a good point. 9.15. I, 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 uh, this doesn't make any sense to me. I, why, that's the best argument you have for me? That's not compelling. But all of a sudden, I push it. So if you've got this attitude, and in comes every directive from the home office. When I got here, essentially my first job in 1975 was working for Motorola, which at the time was the largest employer in the state other than the government. They had about 56,000 employees. And Motorola was primarily an engineering company. There was a sales component to it. So if you wanted, like if you wanted what was then a car phone, now we have the cell phone. If you wanted a car phone, it cost $3,000, and it was $2 for the first minute and a dollar for each minute afterwards, and there was a wait list to get the phone. All those walkie-talkies and things that you see, you can only buy them from Motorola. So I'm a sales guy grafted into this engineering company. I'm there two weeks, and I went to my boss. I said, this thing is in real serious shape, but I think I can save it. He said, you know what I would do if I was you? I'd put that right on my resume because uh, I don't believe you're going to be here very long. But, but, but I didn't get it. Question everything. Here you go. Here's the third one. The principle of opportunity. You have the potential to impact people for generations. And I mean this, I say this seriously, every time I'm in a situation like this, all I can do is think, I wish Larry were here to see this. Other than my immediate family, no one's had an impact on me like Larry. But right now, now, I was telling Sandy last night, we said, I don't know, I'm not good at this, five, six, seven years ago, we're examining the values of the church. And we're saying, is there some things to be done, some tweaking? And I said, yeah, I think there's a value we need to add. And that is to have an impact beyond this generation and beyond this campus. And that was a value that was really important to me, and we championed that. And I was telling Sandy last night, I said, think of tomorrow morning. Out of that East Valley Bible Church, there's one of our guys who's teaching at Gateway. That's our campus down by... Um, down way, way, way south and east. I'm gonna tell you what it's by, but it won't mean anything to you, okay? There's a guy, one of our guys teaching at the Tempe campus, one of our guys teaching at the, the West Mesa campus, one of our guys at the Flagstaff campus, one of our guys who's at the Gilbert campus. Tyler's teaching at Life Connection Church, and I'm here this morning. I said, isn't that amazing? that God gives you the opportunity to impact generations. 
Go, therefore, Matthew writes, and make disciples of all nations. That's the ultimate thing. I have uh, two daughters. Um, one has four kids, the oldest is seven. The other has three kids, the oldest is six, and she's pregnant. So uh, the baby is going to be delivered the Saturday after the Kentucky Derby this year. We'll have eight grandkids, and the oldest is seven. Well, I don't know if there's any job more difficult than the job of a, of a, of a stay-at-home mom, maybe a single mom, but a mom. And, and, and the reason I say this is, the thing that, that, that drives me nuts is when I don't get a thank you. I stopped this morning to get coffee. Okay. And so the guy gave me the coffee. I said, thank you. Here's what he said to me. No problem. I said, well, obviously no problem. I just gave you $2.50 for a dime cup of coffee. You should be happy with this. I, w- I want to hear thank you. I don't want to hear have a good one. I want to hear thank you. Well, as a mom, you never hear that. So Haley's got a daughter that's two and a daughter that's seven months. And this is, this, she's changing diapers constantly. So she'll change Lucy's diaper and Lucy will start running away and she'll hear from the other side of the room. <laughs> so now she's sprinting over here and she gets harmony up and she puts harmony down. She changed that diaper. You know what she'll never hear? She'll never hear, thank you. One of those kids never go up and go, wow, mom, look at that. Nothing's gonna get out of this thing. What a job. Way to go, mom. And yet I see the impact that she's had on generation after generation already. I see it with the oldest boy. You have the capacity in the smallest ways to impact people's lives. Here's the next one. And, and I, I, I have a little angst here. The principle of duty. Do what's right no matter the cost. The author of Hebrews writes, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Then I'm sure we can get arguing about duty and that duty and all that. Here's what I want you to see, that there are times when I just do what's right because it's right. And very honestly, sometimes it may not feel that way. I want to move and be motivated by desire, not by duty. I I, I want to love Sandy out of desire to love her and serve her and nurture her, not because I have to. Duty is something we've kind of lost. I mean, imagine if I went into the superintendent of the Scottsdale School District tomorrow and said, I've got an idea for for a new organization. Now, there's some hang-ups here. It's gender-specific. Well, tell me about it. Well, here, I wrote this oath. See what you think. On my honor, I'll do my duty. I'll do my best to do my duty to God, to my country, to obey scout law, to help other people at all times, to keep myself physically strong, mentally alert, morally straight. Oh, strike one, strike two, strike three. This idea of duty... And we've lost the sense of that. I'm flipping through the other night, and I hit the old movie channel, and uh, it was, they were showing some, like, newsreels from World War II, and here's Jimmy Cagney and Mickey Rooney and all of these people, movie stars, out raising money for war bonds. 
Ma imagine Sean Penn, George, I mean, you don't think of it that way. They're outraised. And here's the pitch. Uncle Sam wants you. You have an obligation. You have a duty. You're a citizen. Even the army's given up on that attitude now. What's the army slogan? Be all you can be. We're going to have to need you for a couple of years, but this isn't really about duty. It's about you. If you can pass along this idea of duty, if you Google, and I haven't done this in a while, so the numbers could be off, but you'll get the principle. If you Google leader or leadership, you get something like 30 million entries. If you Google followers, you get something like 30,000, and almost all of those are followers of Christ. If you kind of put together what we've talked about, when we talk about duty and we talk about opportunity and we, we talk about these, these principles, what we need, I, I know this is not popular, we need more followers, not more leaders. And here's the obstacle. I'm not sure that as a nation we are not at a point where we're, we're not governable. I don't even know if that's a word, but it should be. Because we have 330 million special interest groups. The minute you pass a bill, there's the question. Why are we stuck? Well, we're stuck because 330 million people are saying, what about me? There comes a point where you say, you know what? It's not about me. We tell our kids that all the time. I'd come home from a trip, and there'd be Sarah and Haley. I'd give Sarah something, and Haley would say, what about me? And we get older, and we learn to mask it, but we're all little what about me's. There's a great scene in the book of Philippians where Paul's writing to this church, and he says, I'm going to send you a guy. And I don't have anyone else like him. No one else is a kindred spirit. He's something special. Now, if you knew that Paul or the equivalent was sending you a guy and he said, man, this is really somebody special, you'd be going, boy, I'll, I'll bet he can teach. I'll bet he's a leader. He's got vision. Here's what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ. See, those are the obstacles to this whole thing of authority and duty. What about me? What about my rights? Well, Paul gave us the answer right before this in Philippians 2. Have the mind of you that's also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. If you don't get these principles of authority and duty. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to always want authority, but you don't want any responsibility. My daughter, uh, Sarah, came to me in eighth grade and said, I want to run for student council. Will you help me? I think there were 26 kids in the class. I said, sure. So well, we sat down, and she said, there's six of us running, and they're going to be that, and then they're going to have something, she said, like a runoff election. So I said, well, they're going to take the top two vote-getters, and then they're going to they're put them head-to-head. -head. So there's this, if you will, primary 
And so she went, and she was one of the two. And she came to me, and she said, okay, now i got to win. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you what Joe Kennedy told Jack. I'll help you, but I'm not going to buy a landslide here, okay? I'll come alongside, contribute any way I can. Okay? That, was, that was very good. And so we sat down, and I said, listen, you only got to get 14 votes. And we broke the class down. We figured out who was on her side, who wasn't, the ones in the middle. And I said, you know, you're going to have to start being nice to these poor people in here. You just got to get, all you got to do is win the election. That's all that mattered. And so she said, help me with a speech. And I said, well, the first thing we want to do is thank the four that ran, but, but they didn't make it. Oh, she said, oh, that's good. That's very good. <laughs> so she gives the speech. They have the election. She wins. Great moment. High five, celebratory. Then here's what she said to me. This is perfect. She said, can I ask you a question, Dad? And I said, sure. She goes, what does student council do? <laughs> I feel like there's 535 people who are asking that every day. But, but all of a sudden, that, that's what, that's what you, you breathe. You don't know anything. You just want the authority. You just want the title. Compensation becomes more important than character. Here, we move on. I only have like eight minutes here. So you do what's right, no matter the cost. Here's the, the fifth thing. It's the principle of significance. You understand that some things are more important than others. I have a talk that's one of my favorite talks, and it's titled, What Are You Afraid Of? And I've done this talk all over. I've done it with women's groups, men's groups, professional athletes. One uh, Tuesday night, I'm at ASU. And they had probably maybe 150 students there. It was in a, a classroom, uh, a, a kind of a theater style. And there was this guy that came in, and I noticed him right away. He, lo he looked like he fell in a tackle box and, and uh, kind of climbed his way out. And, and, and I, I say that, I know that sounds disparaging, but I just, it, it raised all kind of my prejudice, really, because I'm kind of going, you know, what, what are you doing? And he went to the top, sat way up there, and sat down. And so I said, let's, let's do what am I afraid of? So if we open it right now, we don't have time. But if we did, I'd say, what are you afraid of? And you'd say loneliness, rejection, a death, not having enough money, suffering. But I have one on my list that no one has ever said. And the tackle box guy says, yeah. And I said, yeah. He said, is it going to? I said, what? He said, insignificant. I said, I, I, I think I heard you. I'm not sure I heard you, but say it loud. He said, insignificance. I'm afraid of being insignificant. I'm afraid I'm going to be born, lived, died, and no one ever cares. I want to make a difference. And we're born, in a sense, with that, 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 that kind of idealism. Paul writes this in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. He said, don't lose heart, though the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, because the things that are seen are temporal, the things that are unseen are eternal. Much of the stuff that occupies our time is important, 
But ultimately, how important? Ultimately, all passing away. I want to be significant. The problem in my natural state is that I'm separated from the one who can truly make me significant, and that's God. So Adam, Eve, in the garden, eat the fruit, and the first thing they do is hide from God. They hear him coming and they hide. It's the first record of abnormal behavior we have in all of history. It's the result of sin. When I went on your website and and I I saw the promo for the next 50 years, and and quoted from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, it's the love of Christ that controls us, as the ESV compels us, as the New American Standard. It's God's love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, 8, and 10. While we were still sinners, while we were helpless, while we were enemies, Christ came and died for us. And that abnormal human behavior has now changed as I'm in right relationship with the Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, the love of Christ compels us. If I go a little further down in that passage, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. The old has passed away. But he says, I'm not done. Here's what I want now is I'm now going to give you a ministry of reconciliation, a message of reconciliation. That if all God wanted to do was to get you to heaven, bam, for me on March 6, 1980, he would have taken me there. But he left you here for a reason. And those things that are truly significant are his word and people. God's placed you right where you are for an important reason, to live this gospel to show what it's like to be in right relationship with God and see how that transforms all of my life. It it affects the kind of parent I am or or, or the way I date or the kind of spouse that I am or employer or employee. And we see those things that are truly significant. And, And that comes once I begin to understand God and who he is. It's Tozer who says it this way, our theology does not ascend high enough or descend low enough. I do not have a big enough view of God. Consequently, I have too big a view of man. It was Isaiah, recorded in Isaiah 6, where he says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. And once Isaiah saw that one true God, then Isaiah says, woe to me for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And God cleanses him. And then God says, I got a whole bunch of stuff to do. Who should I send? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. That's the consequence. See God as he is, see myself as I am, and then as John the Baptist says, Jesus must continue to increase and I must decrease. Let me give you the last one. I have two minutes and 24 seconds. It's the principle of reverence. It's to gain that accurate view of God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And these words which I'm commanding you today should be on your heart. And you should teach them diligently to your sons and and talk of them when you sit down in your house or walk by the way or lie down. When you rise up, it's lifestyle evangelism. It's to understand who God is. And all of a sudden, all of life begins to make sense. I have an accurate view of him. I see myself in my place. I begin to look at life, and I look at it not through the grid of a sociologist or philosopher, although those things are great. I have to take those, and I have to submit all that and look at life through the Scripture around me. That's how I understand it. I said I was going to give you six principles. Uh, My phone died this week, and I don't know if you've had that happen. I had not had that ever happen, and I did not realize how utterly dependent. I don't even know Sandy's phone number. And so I had received some information from the church and sent them kind of the PowerPoint. And and at the end, I thought, we really want to add this one last thing that maybe ties all of this together. And it's the principle of stewardship. There's a popular radio uh, uh, talk show host who says that he operates on talent on loan from God. And that is true. God has transferred, for example, possession to you. So if I reach in the back pocket here and I pull this out, this is money and I'm in possession of it, but it's God's money that he's transferred to me, possession, but not ownership. I'm a manager. I'm a steward. I'll be held accountable for how I handle these assets of my, my time and my energy, my effort, my money. So here you go, because we just went through it. Our church is in the process of, uh, of redoing and building some some buildings on campus, and so we had to sit down at the end of the year, and we had to go, what, what, how do we feel about this? And, and there's two questions. It sounds like the same question, and maybe it is, but it's acted in two different ways, and then when I ask it in two different ways, I get two different answers. One was the question of how much money should I give? How much money should I give on a regular basis? How much money should I give to this project? Talking about my project at Redemption Church. And I got an answer. Then I asked this question, how much of God's money should I keep? And I got a very different answer. And so we talk about money and immediately everybody gets defensive, so let's put that away. And some of you have a lot of money, some of you are aware in your net worth, okay? So some of you don't have any, but here's what I do know, we all have 168 hours this week. How should I invest that 168 hours this week? Well, in this whole process, I'm going to give you four things real quickly, and then uh, Troy will be up. Uh, There are obstacles to passing this on. Let, Let me give it to you. Number one, you cannot give away something you don't have. So, so you need to take an inventory and see if these are things that are present in your life. Secondly, you are tending to underestimate yourself as a role model. I had this moment now where I'm in a line two Sundays ago and people are greeting me and, and it's, you know, the last time they're going to see me in this role. And, and, and it was stunning to me, humbling, the number of people who would say, you affected me, my family. And then they would tell some little incident. It doesn't take much. Here's the third thing. You tend to yield to the tyranny of the moment 
which is very similar to the fourth thing is you'll get distracted as you pursue this. God's called you. God's called you into his family. And we have a legacy. You have a legacy. I have one right now. Could be good, could be bad. But to those around you and those descendants, there are those material things. I get it. You figure that out. But these are things that need to be passed on. And let me, let me just tell you, this, this is really, this is worth it. I, I found this the other day. My, my daughter Haley, uh, eighth grade graduation, they called and asked me if I would be the, the commencement speaker. So they, 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 uh, Haley came in and said, do you know who's going to introduce you? And I said, no. And she said, I am. And I said, well, do you need help writing the introduction? And she said, no, no, I got it. Here, here's what she wrote. Our guest speaker tonight is a man who is very important to me and has had a great influence on my life. He teaches Bible studies to businessmen and women during the week. And on Sunday, he's a pastor at a church called East Valley Bible Church. In his spare time, he enjoys golfing, spending time with his family. He's a husband as well as a father of two teenage daughters. Our speaker tonight is a man who is living proof that if you give your life to Christ, he'll do miraculous things. Would you please help me welcome my dad, Tom Schrader. And so as I'm walking off, Haley's walking uh, Thank you. I'm walking off, Haley's walking up, and, and so there's this kind of customary hug. So I hug her, and she says in my ear, don't screw this up. <laughs> That she got from me. <laughs> so my whole point today is to, to whet your appetite for this thing called legacy and to maybe help you see it from a different perspective. Let me pray as, as the guys come. Father, thank you for this truth. I pray that we would be a, a legacy of your love and grace, that your love for us would compel us. That, that we would live in a way that would bring honor and glory to you. And now here this morning, gathered in this place, let us leave and know that we have the privilege to represent you in this world. God, make us aware of that and then empower us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.